Hey, this is Jim. Welcome back. Silent Sales Machine Radio. Yet another episode for you today. I've got a great guest, Scott Margolius. And we're going to talk about suspension issues. And we're going to kind of run the gamut. It's a different ball game depending on what level you're at in your business. Maybe you're brand new and you're nervous and thinking, oh, I want to sell on Amazon, but I've heard these suspension stories. I'm going to talk to you a little bit. All the way up to people who've been doing this for a while now. And we've built substantial businesses and we find ourselves wondering, hey, could this all be at risk someday? It's a topic that we've talked about frequently. And just as a reminder to you, listener, if you go back and listen to some past episodes, I don't think you should rely on any one website for anything, even if it's your own website. I mean, your server could go out of business. I mean, your host, server, uh, you could lose it. You've got to be backing up everything. You've got to have a backup plan. You've got to have a disaster plan. You've got to have multiple streams of income, which is what this show is all about, guys. If we're going to rely on the big boys like Google or YouTube or Facebook or PayPal or eBay or, yes, Amazon, you got to realize those are big, impersonal companies. And while it's rare and while the odds really are in your favor, it could happen that you could lose some or all of your business temporarily or on even more rare occasions permanently. And how do you prevent it? What do you do if you run into that situation? And should we be nervous about those kinds of topics? And that's the topic today I'm going to spend some time with Scott because he's helped at this point hundreds if not more full-time sellers, specifically on Amazon, in recovering their accounts. Before I let Scott jump in here, I just want to say right up front, because this is a topic that makes people nervous, All the numbers we're seeing, the vast majority of the time, if you face an account suspension, this has to do with Amazon and eBay both or any of the major selling sites, the vast majority of the time, as long as you're not a bad guy, you're not one of the troublemakers, you're not doing some stuff that you know is illegal and wrong, you just goofed up, the vast majority of the time, like high 90s percent of the time, you can get your account back. But it's the inconvenience of the process um, that we'd like to help you avoid. So Scott, welcome to the show, man. How'd I do with the intro? Appreciate you. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do, and uh, we'll just go from there. I've got a few questions for you. How are you, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome, man. Take the mic. Tell us about Scott. Well, I was uh, working full-time. I was COO for a small business. It was a marketing company. We did uh, customer service and uh, marketing for other companies. It was a B2B business. We serve clients in all 50 states. And so I was COO there and I was in charge of uh, daily operations and I shared that duty with the uh, CEO and wore a bunch of hats there. So I got a lot of great experience and learned a lot about people and learned a lot about processes. And I was in, I was responsible for all the negotiating and contracts and IT and just on and on and on, you know, personnel and equipment. And, and let's see, I was there for 15 years. But uh, in 2012, I started selling on Amazon part-time. Now, I had been doing all the purchasing. So I was buying from Amazon. I was buying from eBay. I'd had a eBay account since 2000 and I'm a top rated power seller there and still am. But uh, on Amazon, I started just sort of dipping my toe in the water January of 2012. And at that point, I wasn't even a pro seller. I just wasn't really sure if this was going to be real or not. And uh, I decided to just try that part time. So I chose a few products and and I jumped in and I knew that the break-even point for being a pro seller was 40 items in a month. And, and so I actually switched to a pro account before the end of that month and, and really never looked back. So in, let's see, in 2012, I was in the top 25% of sellers for Q4. 
And I did that part-time and then did the same thing again, the top 25% of sellers for Q4 in 2012. I'm sorry, that was 2012. Then did the same thing again in 2013. And then I was in the top 10% of sellers for Q4 for 2014. And uh, again, that was part-time that whole time. I was working full-time, probably 50, 60 hours a week. I don't know. And then mornings, during break, at lunch, after work, and, uh, you know, good number of evenings. And then Saturday, for a good part of the day, at least half the day, I was doing that kind of thing. And I sold every single category and every single type of selling that you could imagine, you know, whether it's RA or OA or liquidations or closeouts or, you know, what have you, whether it's uh, bundles or wholesale or private label, I, I kind of did it all and, and really got a full picture of all the different ways that sellers would normally uh, approach sourcing for the Amazon platform. You know, there's some nuggets in there for people who are listening. I have to go back 15 years to remember what it felt like to be working full-time diligently for my employer and doing this thing on the side, this eBay thing at the time. There, you know, Amazon wasn't around at that time, but just hustling. And this is a more recent memory for you. And man, you took off fast, dude. You weren't a top 25% like in your first year, dude. You really hit it hard. So that's one observation. But, you know, I just remember and see if, if this rings true for you, Scott. And I think people listening, that $1,000 that I would make on eBay felt so much better than that same $1,000 in a paycheck. It just felt like monopoly money, like a different currency almost. Like it, it, it looked and felt like freedom versus the paycheck was just like, eh, yeah, that's I earned it, but it's not as exciting. You know, was it? Do you remember that difference? You're still close enough to that. I mean, we're just talking a few short years ago. Do you remember that sure. feeling at all? Can you relate to that? You know, it was. I understand exactly what you're saying, and I definitely would echo that. That that is a different feeling for me. It was different yet. I mean, different still. In that, part of the reason I jumped in was not for extra money per se, but because I didn't have any. We the economy had started to affect our business pretty substantially at the time. Okay, and my wife was the CEO, so the two of us were taking you know a decent paycheck. And what we decided to do is go ahead and voluntarily reduce our pay so that we didn't have to lay anybody off, or so wow. that we didn't have to reduce anybody else's pay. So we basically cut our pay in half. You were operating from a place of like this has to work. Pretty Almost. much. I yeah. mean, we were we were footing the bill right. for the company. We were yeah. sort of making sure that they could still meet payroll by not cashing our own checks and, unfortunately, starting to put things on credit cards. And I saw that happening, and I wasn't very excited about that at all because, one, I didn't necessarily want to work for free, which is what I was doing. Yeah. And I certainly did not want to see that continue long term, and I certainly didn't want to continue to rack up debt. I'd already been, you know, debt free before I was married and at least one time while I was married. And here I'm seeing this happening again and I don't have the control over it at that time that I felt like I needed to. And so to me, the only alternative was to go out and make some money somewhere else and sort of backfill to prevent this from getting any worse than it already was. Man, it, this is why we can't go too far down this road in the interest of time. But man, this is why I call business owners warriors. And just, I have such an admiration for, you know, we're the last one. And I know there's the profit first concept and, you know, those types of things. But really, you know, when you've got payroll to meet, meeting payroll is the closest thing to having kids that I've ever felt. 
You know, it's like, okay, I've got these people, they've committed their time and energy and effort. They've left their family. They could have been spending their time doing other things and they've come to help me build my business. Yes, I'm going to pay them on time, even if it means me not getting paid. Man, God bless you, business warrior. You, Scott, and anyone else who's ever faced that very difficult decision. But you saw the opportunity with Amazon. Fortunately, your business took off very rapidly, as you're saying. I mean, you were hustling, doing all different types of models as you already went through. But let's get into... The current, you know, the history isn't so much interesting to me as like, what's happening right now? What are you seeing right now? And I know your ideal client is someone who's maybe got a substantial business. They've, they're on the higher end, you know, they're, they've got a regular business setting up with some zeros and commas and their, their quarterly numbers. But let's just spend just a moment before we jump to them on the new people. Sure. They're maybe a little sure. nervous. Like, is the opportunity still here? Can I still get into Amazon and do well? I'm like, I'm two months in here. I made my first $50 check a couple of weeks ago. What does the landscape look like for those guys? I'm curious. I know what my perspective is. What's your perspective? I mean, I think that the it's not even a matter of me thinking this. To me, reality is such that this is an amazing opportunity. Well said. Uh, Amazon, eBay, online. I mean, we're living in an amazing time, and there are absolutely amazing opportunities. I'm not sure that for someone who is a newbie that jumping in the way that I jumped in and that others were taught makes the most sense right now. And, And if we're looking at, let's call that out as RA or OA, or even Amazon flips, you know, some people feel like that's pretty safe because Amazon's carrying it. And it's not that it's not safe. It's just not as safe as other things. And so if we're looking at RA and OA, times have changed so much. And there's been such a humongous shift in the way that Amazon is doing things and the way that seller performance is working and the way that they're looking at your, your metrics. And, it, and it's really challenging and troublesome because the metrics that you see on your account health dashboard do not give you a full picture of what's going on with your account. And if you're not sure of where all the other areas are that you should be looking, then you might end up with a false sense of security. It's like driving with a you know gas tank meter that doesn't tell you where the gas is. You know, you're going to be stranded on the side of the road if you're not careful, if you don't know your vehicle very well. Makes total sense. I mean, would it be a good use of our time to maybe give a couple of tips on, you know, where are those metrics hiding? Uh, is that something you can tell? Um, because, you know, just to give full disclosure, I still do a fair bit, not a lot, nowhere near as much as I used to of retail arbitrage. But to me, when I hear retail arbitrage, that doesn't mean it's automatically going on Amazon. I mean, we sell on eBay, Craigslist. I'm excited about Facebook marketplace right now. Are you kidding me? That's lighting up. I mean, there's creative ways to get rid of, if you find a $5 widget at a retail outlet and it's selling for 60 online on Amazon, you can sell it for $60 on eBay or on Craigslist or on Facebook. So don't get stuck thinking it all has to go to Amazon. But we still do a fair bit of that on Amazon, uh, right. not nearly as much as we used to. And we, we do it with uh, an ounce of caution at each step. Um, but are there some places that you can tell people, like, hey, you know, keep an eye on this metric? Or are there some under the, you know, fly under the radar type of areas you need to go look to see your metrics, you know, fill us in a little bit on that. If there's anything you can tell us, there any insider tips there having dealt sure. with this? I mean, I would say maybe one of the best places to start if you're interested is I've got a presentation that I put into a PowerPoint and that's available for free download on a couple of different sites, but uh, it's pretty easy to get to. And 
uh, on one of the sites. I'm not even sure you have to give away your email address. It's just you can download it if you know it's there. So at, uh, can I give those out? or? Yeah, well, we'll stick them in the show notes and, and okay. you know, so have an easy link there um, if it's a longer link. And, and we'll talk about your blog and all that. I'll all be in the show notes for sure. Yeah, sure. love sharing okay. free resources, man. Excellent. Okay. So yeah, they're there and available for download. And and that's one place I would start because sometimes I think it helps to see visually where to go and what to do and what that looks like as opposed to, you know, for me to try to describe it because there are a lot of different parts and pieces there. And I wouldn't say that uh, unless you're comfortable with those areas that, that you're seeing maybe for the first time or you didn't know existed, then, you know, it's possible depending upon the maturity of your account or where you want to take it that you might need help with that. And the only reason I say that is I also would take all of these different concepts, you know, surrounding Amazon and relate the majority of it back to your own personal health. So if you look at your Amazon account health as your personal health, let's say you're getting into exercise for the first time and you're wanting to change your diet and you're wanting to change your lifestyle. If you want to be as efficient as possible and you don't want to mess anything up and you don't want to make any wrong assumptions or bad decisions, then you can do a whole lot of reading and you can do all that on your own or it might make sense for you to sort of up your game a little bit and work with someone who is a you know registered dietitian or a registered re- nutritionist or an exercise physiologist or a personal trainer or maybe you want to go get a health checkup before you get started because they always tell you to do that. You don't want to keel over while you're in the middle of exercise. You're trying to do something to help yourself and you ended up making it worse. Those kinds of things you want to look at your account health on Amazon the same way. So you don't want to go into it blind. You don't want to just jump in. Uh, Sure, some activity might be better than no activity, but I would say that that some activity, if you're jumping in for the first time, just like what Jim would would say or, or did mention is that for RA, that's excellent, but do it for other platforms, not for Amazon if you're just getting started. There's too much risk. Yeah, there's significantly more risk there now than there used to be. That's just that's just kind of the reality. One of the good news bits of that is, you know, there is more ca- that a lot of us are being far more cautious with our retail arbitrage on Amazon. What we're seeing right now is our eBay sales are starting to tick up. Right. I'm talking to a lot of sellers, you know, buyers, the thing to keep in mind with this whole topic and this is for the listener and for all of us to keep in mind. It's not Amazon that's driving the rules of online shopping. It's the shoppers who are driving this boat and they know how to deal shop. And if the deals aren't on Amazon for, you know, some of these retail items, there's more and more of them. They're like, Hey, let's go check eBay again. It's been a while. Let's see. Wow. I can save 40 bucks going over to eBay. Let's go over there. So we're starting to see and talk to a lot of sellers where eBay is back on the map. It's back on the radar. So I love retail arbitrage. We still do it. Don't pass up the good deals, but don't just blindly throw it all onto Amazon anymore either. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are looking at drop shipping too, but I would just never, har- well, hardly ever recommend drop shipping on Amazon. That doesn't mean people aren't doing it. It doesn't mean it's not lucrative. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's not possible, but it's just not a very safe place to be, especially if you're new. Yeah. Well, the, the rule of thumb I give uh, people with drop shipping when they talk about doing it with eBay, Amazon, or any other platform is you better have a great relationship with the source. I mean, like, swapped birthday cards last year, know each other's names of your kids, and you talk to them once a week on the phone minimum, and like strong relationship with your source. If you don't have that, don't do it. Right. I mean, I, I've done drop shipping too, and yeah. you, you can see pretty quickly, hey, this just might not make too much sense on Amazon if, unless it's the kind of relationship that you're talking about. Right, right. That's that's my rule of thumb. And, and, and again, this is all relationship business. You want to pursue those kinds of relationships. And if you get into one, 
beautiful. You know, one of the most beautiful uh, dropship arrangements I ever saw someone doing was it was a local vendor who had just a bunch of product X and they went and said, Hey, could we try selling some of these online? And just, you drop shipping for us. Yeah. Uh, let's give it a shot. And they did it and it worked and it was great. It was beautiful. They didn't have to take ownership of the product, of course, but they had a relationship. They had the ability to keep an eye on the inventory levels. They knew the product was going out. If the product didn't go out, they could drive across town, grab one and ship it themselves. Kept the few in their basement, you know, that sort of thing. That's what you have to do. But this whole thing of kind of like blindly drop shipping stuff from another website, uh, no, don't ever no. get into that. That's just a disaster. So that can end your account rapidly. I'll tell you where else there's a lot of pressure for new sellers as opposed to more seasoned ones for RA. And that is there are people out in the you know web sphere who are actively looking to take advantage of you. So if they see that you don't have much feedback, if they see that you're new to the platform, you are far more likely to have fraud that comes against you on your account. They feel like they can pick you off more easily. And hold, hold you hostage for feedback, that sort of that's thing. That's right. They yeah. hold you hostage for all kinds of things, and they don't really care about you at all. And so some of the kinds of complaints that you might be likely to get would be a used sold as new or not as described or doesn't match the website description or it's inauthentic. Well, when you get an inauthentic claim, and there's some debate about this because there are some other people, colleagues who would maybe disagree with what I'm going to tell you, but I've just seen it too many times to have it be an opinion. It's just based upon not anecdote, but fact of what I've seen. And that is when you get a complaint of inauthentic, pretty rarely does it actually have anything to do with authenticity. They're not claiming that you were selling a fake. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they may make that claim, but it, they're not really claiming that in a genuine way. They're just saying that so they could get free return shipping because that's one of the ways that Amazon incentivizes people to uh, say things that may not be true in order to not have to pay to have an item returned. Well, the fraudsters take advantage of that by not only not having to pay to have the item returned, but they get to keep the original item that they received and they get a free uh, uh, refund. So, and in addition to that, they kick you in the teeth while you're down and you get negative feedback or something else. Right. And so when, when that buyer, whether they're, whether they're fraudulent and they're trying to steal the item or whether they're just trying to get free return shipping, when they go to Amazon, ask for a refund, they check a little box and it says that this was inauthentic because they know that that's one of the reasons that they can check. That gets passed all the way down to you where Amazon lets you know about that in a performance notification. They say that you were selling this product that was inauthentic and it had nothing to do with authenticity. just had to do with the buyer trying to get the product for free. So that changes what it would be that you would say to Amazon because you know that the problem is not that it's not authentic. The problem is that they're saying that it is, but you know what the real reason is. Right. And that's like that complicates everything. It adds all these layers of complication. And what I've seen with a lot of suspended accounts right, recently and probably all the way back to as long as I've been doing this is sellers don't know that they really need to respond to all of those performance notifications and get them removed from their accounts because they add up. And when they add up to a certain level or a certain quantity of certain types that Amazon seems to care about the most, that's what triggers the account suspension. That's one of the main reasons why I see people suspended is because they're not replying to Amazon and getting them to remove the restriction against a specific ASIN. So whether that comes to you in the form of a inauthentic or used all as news, not as described, and one of the biggest ones right now 
that is, I say, the single biggest pressure against selling RA and OA is IP rights holder complaints. So right now, Amazon's left that wide open where anybody can go in and claim that your image was violating their copyright or there's a, it's basically a rights holder complaint or an IP complaint, whatever. And they've made the mistake of taking this process out of your hands for your relationship with Amazon for you to be able to deal with directly. And they've put it in the hands of the complainant. And that's a terrible situation. So that ends up putting you in the position of saying, okay, I've removed my inventory. I've contacted the complainant. Hopefully they remove their complaint. Then Amazon may or may not uh, acknowledge that. And you still might have to write a miniature plan of action in order to get them to remove the uh, IP rights holder complaint, even if the complainant already removed it. And so that is a huge amount of pressure on RA and OA. And the reason why those are uh, areas in particular why you have that pressure is because normally you do not have authorization directly from the manufacturer or the distributor to sell those products. So that you're at a much greater likelihood of having that kind of complaint come against your account. And the biggest way to prevent that is to have that authorization. Absolutely. Which means wholesale, <laughs> you know, going to the source or private label, private labeling your own, which uh, we we're teaching a lot of people. Yeah. This, this is kind of like the relief valve. Like if we if this was a movie, you know, we just had that big intense scene and now we add in like, Oh, okay, relax. It's okay. Private label is huge right now. We've taken the complexity out of it. Our proven private label course is wildly popular right now. And uh, it can be as, and I did an interview and there's a few things I want based on what you've said, I've got some mental notes here, but private label really can be as simple. It's actually easier than retail arbitrage and online arbitrage at the beginner level. Now there's all kinds of ways to do private label, but we've got an entire course where the starting foundation is you approach wholesalers or distributors or manufacturers and you say, Hey, can I take your product out of a bag and put it in my own? Is that okay with you? And if they say yes, which they do the vast majority of the time, cause they're just trying to sell their stuff. You've got a product and it's your private label. Now it's not complicated stuff. That's can be your introduction. And it's actually easier than scrounging the, you know, closeout section of all the retail outlets in your area. It's easier. It's safer. It's more efficient. Yeah. Continue doing that if you want. I've got a team that does that, but flip that stuff. I mean, I was, you know, I talk to people, they just go from one side of the town to the other. You, There's money to be made going into that side of town where people just don't walk at night. You know, every big city has them. Like, you just don't go there. Well, you do on a Saturday and you hit the yard sales there, you hit the Craigslist there, you hit the Facebook marketplace there, and you drive it 20 miles to the nice side of town, whatever that means in your area, and you sell it for a lot more money without doing anything to it. I mean, those business models are out there for everybody. But if we're talking about building something substantial, yeah, it's time. You need to lean into private label a little sooner. And we've made it super easy. That's what our proven private label course is all about. But the other thing I wanted to say was, I heard, I don't know if you heard about this case, but there's been a handful of them now where false IP claims, basically one competitor is trying to get another competitor to stop selling a product because they want to keep all the profit for themselves. They don't want a competitor. So they send, they pretend they're a customer and they send a false IP claim, an authentic product. Right. And they try to scare them away. Well, right. one Amazon seller actually sued successfully, had the guy shut down and got a big five-figure fat check recently. This was on one of the uh, interviews that I just did with uh, his name's escaping me as a lawyer. He's going to be at CES with us this year in September. You'll be there too, right, Scott? Sure. Uh, you're yeah, coming as well, which is cool. Uh, um, his name escapes me. I apologize. But he actually successfully – oh, there we go. Yeah, he successfully okay. sued 
and won a case, which is cool. So we're starting to see more of that. And, and Amazon is, I think, waking up a little bit to the possibility that just because someone says inauthentic doesn't mean it actually is. Uh, but still, you need to respond to these. You need to reply to these things to keep your account secure. All right, well, let's shift. We've kind of talked to the newbies, and I hope he didn't scare you away. <laughs> the OA, the RA, still viable, maybe not as much on Amazon. Approach it with caution. Definitely keep your receipts. Ideally, you've got the UPC, the barcode on the receipt. So it's like, hey, you know, this is authentic. I got it from a major retailer, and you know that gets you out of a lot of these situations the vast majority of the time. I would definitely say, just to back up just a moment, you know, the easiest, fastest, best path to cash for somebody who's new can definitely still be RA and OA. But if you if you were to focus on the other areas, the outlets that you mentioned, whether it's eBay or Craigslist or, you know, Facebook Marketplace, you could easily make six figures a year just doing that and nothing else. No doubt. And that's probably with a part time effort. Maybe you and a probably. friend. Yeah, you, probably. Yeah, you probably. Know, you, you could be working full time and pull that if you work hard. I mean, you Absolutely. you were doing that. You were holding down a business that wasn't necessarily profitable, keeping meeting payroll and building an incredible business doing RA and OA. So yeah, that it's still out there, guys. No question. But Amazon is the, it, it's the monster right now. It's got all the market share. It's got all the attention. It is where you want to be. So private label. We're leaning in that direction very heavily, and the opportunity is huge, wholesale, huge. Lots of opportunity there still. So, you know, help us bridge the gap now. Let's go from, we've talked to the newbies. Let's talk to some of the more experienced sellers for just a few minutes here, and what might they be looking for? What are some things you're seeing there with them, and and what are some of the opportunities, you know, for all of us? You know, a lot of the larger sellers that I've talked to recently, they get kind of close to the end of what they can do with their own hands. So I've talked to at least four million and a half dollar sellers recently. And when I talk to them and learn what they're doing and how they're doing it, it's always just very apparent what they could be doing differently to 3x or 5x or 10x their income. And it's always different for each person because it's always custom. It has to everything to do with what they're currently doing and what they're good at and what they enjoy and what's their background, skills and experience. And so it's different in each case, but it's a lot easier to see that sometimes for larger sellers because they're already in a rhythm. And so they're, they're already successful. It's easier to tweak that. So I can sit down with somebody in a context of, you know, an hour or two max, we can set a direction that helps them make more money in less time, you know, with less effort. And, and really, they just get to capitalize on the things that they're already doing well. It's easier to have that conversation with somebody who's been on the platform a while because they have a good understanding of a lot of different concepts and a lot of different things that they've been doing that have helped them protect their accounts. You know, they're already paying attention to a lot of these key indicators and they're already concerned about, well, what do I do with this claim that I can't get resolved? They're tenacious. And so they don't just leave it be and decide that it's not important because they can't get it removed. Love it. Yeah. And, and you're a valuable resource in our community. That's why we're excited to have you at CES. And you've you've advised and helped out many of our coaching clients as well. When we've run into something, we're like, oh, let's get Scott in here. Let you know what's going on with this. So you're a valuable resource to this community. And I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast, man. It's been a while since we've been trying to work and get this set up. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. We're looking for new ways to work even more closely together because I think our, our you know our worldviews and our values and and the reason we're in this, it just so perfectly aligns. It's easy to spot a mile away somebody who's just in this like 
take the money and run kind of approach. And I've seen a lot of guys burn out and they get end up with horrible reputations, but they put some money in the bank. Uh, but we've been doing this for 15 years and you're a guy that's in it for the long term. You love helping entrepreneurs succeed. So it's just, it's awesome working with you. We're so glad to have you as part of our leadership team in this community. And, and I'm sure you're going to have some people contacting you and wanting to work with you after this. And that's awesome. Uh, but you know, th- let's, let's break down some real specifics. If there's anything that comes to mind that you're thinking, by well, sellers need to know this. We haven't covered this topic yet. What can we do to, at the same time, encourage, open up some eyes to some opportunities and be realistic about, hey, here's some areas you need to be careful. You know, What else comes to mind as I say that? What other topics could we hit in our final minutes here? Well, I don't want to forget to mention, I don't know if this exists somewhere else out there. It's probably got a name. Somebody probably coined this and it's named after him, but I, I don't know who it would be. So I call this uh, principle of preposterous exaggeration right? So if you're wanting to think through something carefully, abstractly, or or mentally, if you take it to its sort of logical, exaggerated end, sometimes that helps you think through things more thoroughly. So if you were to look at your existing income today and, you know, how you're making a living and what your current health is and what your current economic state is, all that kind of thing, what would you do to sustain that if something just really outlandish happened, like the economy dropped out? What if the recession that we experienced previously was only the tip of the iceberg and something actually got much worse? How prepared are you to accommodate that? And if you think through what you're doing today with that kind of a lens, it might be instructive for you to decide, how can I shore things up? How can I make sure that I'm better prepared? And it's really just the same sort of thinking that might cause you to let people know that, gosh, they really need to have a diversified income stream. Because ultimately, the whole intent of that, the whole purpose of having a diversified income stream is just to protect yourself and your family so that you are able to be able to survive adequately given a wide variety of circumstances. And so if you take that just a little bit further, it might give you enough sort of focus and enough sort of clarity to ask the same kind of question if you're looking at, you know, a principle of preposterous exaggeration, let's look at something that you're doing right now, some activity that you're engaged in. If you were paying yourself, you know, $250,000 a year, is that activity that you're doing right now still something that you would be doing or is it something that you would be having somebody else do? You know, if you're if that's what you're going to pay yourself on a hourly basis that let's pretend that you sort of calculate, hey, I every time I do something or don't do something, I'm either making 50 bucks an hour or 100 bucks an hour or whatever it is, or I'm losing that much. And so if you boil it all down to that, how does that change your thinking about the activities that you're currently engaged in? Yeah, you, you're talking about the law of specialization, which I love. And you're also talking about, as a side topic, building systems. What happened in, and I'll illustrate with a real life story here, you know, my wife was in a, a traffic accident several years ago, but it really changed the dynamics of our family life. We needed to have more time to focus on her, to get her to the appointment she needed to be at as she's recovering and she's recovered physically, but some of the, just the emotional and mental, you know, post-traumatic stress type of things, it's changed our family dynamics. So we needed extreme flexibility. Had that not come upon us, I wouldn't have built the incredible business that we have now because I was doing a lot of this stuff myself. I wasn't specializing. I wasn't building systems. I was just getting it all done. If it, if tape needed to be on the box, I was the guy. If yeah. stamps need to be bought, I was the guy. If an email t- needed to be returned to a customer, I was the guy. And I was going full tilt, 
I was in full hustle mode, right? But I but would you have no. I would have you a know that that's not the highest and best use of your no, time. No, it's not. Yeah. Not and specialization is a concept I've been introduced to in the last few years, and I've pounded and pounded. It's actually an ancient biblical Hebrew principle of specialization, because when we all specialize, we're even more interdependent on each other. This is from from my and your worldview. I know, having spoke to you, the biblical worldview. That's how the world is supposed to work. We specialize, meaning. You've got these things that you do better than just about anybody you know, maybe better than anyone in the world, and you focus on that. 100%. And that opens up, and and, and we've actually had other podcast episodes on this topic, but when you do that, it opens up multiple income stream possibilities that weren't there before. Because multiple, It's a recipe for success every yeah, time. Absolutely. Multiple income streams isn't about being good at 50 things. It's about being good at one thing and surrounding yourself with specialists who can... Mm take what you're good at and create streams that flow into the same river. And I love those visual images, but yes, specialization is huge. So bring in you know, experts. You've got to know when to bring in an expert. Absolutely. Yeah, you really do. And, and I've seen that more and more all the time in the last probably even just six months. If I need an expert for something, I go to the expert and then I trust that expert. I make sure that there's someone that I can trust. And then I just Leave it in their hand. If you need to have brain surgery, you don't go to a veterinarian, you know? Yeah. That translates all the way down to cutting my lawn. Exactly. Do I want to pay, if my time is worth, and I think this is kind of where you were heading, you know, if you're making $250,000 a year, well, what is your time worth? You know, if you're making $100,000 a year, your time's worth about $50 an hour. So if someone can get the job less done less for 50 bucks an hour... You just maximized your time and you help somebody else make money doing something they enjoy. And they're good at it. You know, when those guys cut my grass, it would have taken me three hours. They do it in 20 minutes and it looks better. And they're on top of it. They, they show up when it needs it. I don't even have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how you do life the right way. You specialize. And that applies to your business as well. So that's why I've built a team. And, um, I, you know, I say all the time, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. I want to be surrounded with people who are smarter than me, better than me, quicker than me on topics. They can identify the questions that should be asked before I even know to ask them. That's what my team is. And you need to build that even virtually. That's, and this is maybe a good chance to plug the Facebook community, the My Silent Team Facebook community. It's free, guys, that we have everything from newbies to eight-figure Amazon online business warriors Many of whom came from our community, like you know, my partner Brett Scott, who you've seen and met. You know, he had sure. four hundred bucks in the bank just a few years ago. Now he's my, you know, we've got an eight-figure business that we've built together, and it's very substantial. But we rely very heavily on our team, and we all carry a little bit, and that synergy effect kicks in, and we're accomplishing incredible things with extreme flexibility of lifestyle. It's just incredible. We're, we're just so blessed. And I think I love that you presented the opportunity for the, for the listeners to think through, like, let's think through some disaster scenarios here. Like, what if this happened? What if that happened? And I know my family, we have a disaster plan that we call our escape plan. You know, we've built our business intentionally in such a way that we could literally each pack a little suitcase, hop on an airplane and be in another country tomorrow if we had to. And my business doesn't skip a beat. How beautiful is that? Now, we may leave some assets behind. And it'd be, we'd hate to leave family and friends and all that, but I'm just talking like, let's say worst case scenario, something happened. Do right. you have a business that can, you, you don't get that overnight. You get that with intentional thinking, planning, 
relationships and multiple income streams. Yeah. You know, I hurt my back this week and uh, basically I just exaggerated or exacerbated an old injury. And so I've been in so much pain, I haven't even been able to think. I cannot carry on a decent thought because of the pain. It's so distracting. But I haven't had to do anything this week. I've had the time. I've had the freedom and the flexibility because of the time that you put in. And so it's been a good situation for me. It's like, oh, it happened at a pretty good time. I'm not really missing anything. Yeah, you build margin into your life. I'm in the pursuit of margin right now. I, I sometimes have called it um, discipline to distractibility. And I'm sorry about your back, by the way. Offline, let's talk, man, because I, I know quite a bit about that stuff. Uh, oh, Having gone through it myself, but I, I call it disciplined distractibility, meaning I'm very disciplined. Like I can tell you what I'm very likely to be doing about this time tomorrow. I've got a schedule, but if I get a call from you know, some big radio talk show host, or if I get a call from an author who I've been trying to connect with and he needs three hours of my time tomorrow to, to do something exciting or just wants to jump on a call and get to know me, I clear it all and I don't lose a dime because I've got a great team backing me up. I send a text to a couple of people, hey, cover me. I'm out for six hours. They don't need to know why. That's all they need to know. Boom, done. Everything keeps right on rocking. It's a beautiful thing. It doesn't happen overnight, but I just want to plant a little dream and a vision in the in the mind of people who are maybe at that stage. You're doing a little retail arbitrage, making a little money. It's like, Jim, I just want to learn how to make an extra 500 bucks a month and I'll be happy. Well, I'll tell right. you, that doesn't exist. Not for long anyway, because if you're any good at all, that 500 a month will be a thousand a month soon. And if you think you can just coast at that level, like, oh, that would just be the dream. You can't coast. There's no coasting in business. If you think you're coasting and you're holding steady, what you're really doing is your business is slowly dying and you don't realize it. You're not paying attention to the threats that are gathering around you. And that thousand a month suddenly becomes zero a month because you weren't planning for growth in building systems. Mm. So you weren't specializing. You weren't building a team. All these things. A business stretches you. It's a journey. It's a marathon. Um, you can't you can't just settle into this easy pattern because the way things work now, it's going to change a little bit. So you got to embrace that change. For sure. I mean, I've had to do that. I've had to hire, you know, I've hired 18 people. None of them are full time. But I knew that if I didn't do that, I really wouldn't be able to grow substantially more than what I've been able to grow on my own because I just I reached capacity. Yeah, which which is a whole nother episode. And we've talked about outsourcing. And, you know, to me, that's all a worker, a team. It's a team member. Sure. It's a team member, you know, it, it outsource worker, employee, partner, whatever you want to call them. It's someone who's helping pull the load and you're giving them a nice chunk of the business to help do it. They're making you more money than you're paying them. That means you did a good job and just slowly building onto that team. So, yeah, I like that this whole thing kind of went from, hey, I don't want to get suspended on Amazon to let's build something substantial, sustainable here. And I don't care how secure you think your Amazon account is. If all your eggs are in that basket, ah, you should be a little nervous. Same with Facebook, YouTube. I talk to people all the time. Man, YouTube just pulled the plug on my whole channel. Just went down. It happened to me once, Scott. I like, here's my YouTube channel, plugging away, sending me all these great prospects, doing all these great things. One day, boom, gone. Wow. I put up a blog post and I said, I don't know what happened, guys, but I hope YouTube reads this. Hey, tell me what's going on. Can I get my account back? Somebody help me. And a bunch of people chimed in and YouTube just happened to turn it back on. Never said anything as to why or what happened. Um, did that income stream instantly went away one day and a few days later, it came back. Fortunately for me, it's one of about 25 income streams, so I wasn't real worried about it. But that's the, because I've intentionally planned and built over time. 
into right. you know what the position we're in now. I mean, basically, no matter how big your account is, I don't care if you're a you know one million dollar seller, three hundred thousand dollar seller, fifty million dollar seller. If your Amazon income stream dries up, or any other single income stream drives up, and you have trouble making your mortgage payment, or your rent, or your car payment, or putting food on the table as a result, you really need to reevaluate what you're doing. I completely agree. I completely agree. And that's the one of the dangers I call it, you know, the, the danger of the hustle mode is if you never step back and go, okay, if I continue down this road for five years, what have I built? Have I built just an even bigger Amazon business where all my eggs, even more eggs are in that one basket? No, we don't want that. Ideally, you want to have your own. The golden opportunity in front of us in this age is to have your own audience of people who can't wait to hear from you. That's a primary focus of our business is we want to have for every product we launch, for every opportunity we get into, and even this podcast, you know, the purpose of this, we're giving away great free content, but hopefully one out of every 10 listeners are like, wow, I really like this stuff. I like what these guys are up to. I'm going to get on their list. I'm going to get in their email list, get in their Facebook group. And then when we have an event, you come. When we offer you coaching, you sign up. You know, that's how we monetize. But it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about having the attention of an audience that you're serving well, and that goes for products or services or coaching or anything else, getting to the point where you have that audience is the holy grail. Because then once you have people who like you and trust you and can't wait to hear from you, that's an asset that no one can take from you. No platform can rob that from you. You back up that list of names, and those are people who can't wait to partner with you, work with you, buy things from you. And we're doing that over and over in several niche markets right now. And we're not relying on Amazon. If Amazon's fees go up too high, hey, our audience of customers in this niche, guess what, guys? We're selling on this platform now. We move them all over there. So that's the way to do this business the right way, big. Uh, But no matter what stage you're at, listener, I know we've got people at all different stages. We're here to serve you, to encourage you. The future has never looked brighter. If you're an online entrepreneur, the opportunity is everywhere. You heard Scott say it. I mean, Scott sees the worst of the worst. He's kind of like the emergency room triage doctor that sees the worst of the worst in the worst inner city, right? He has these people come to him. Stuff's just blown up. And they're like, please, can you save this? And that's what he does. He dives in and he saves it the vast majority of the time. And so to hear a guy like that say, hey, the future's never been brighter, man, I, I'm excited. Uh, so that's, it's really great having you on the show today, Scott. Anything you want to leave with the listeners with before we wrap this one up? Uh, wear your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, stay out of the emergency room, right? <laughs> I've got a good friend who wouldn't be here today if he hadn't had his seatbelt on two weeks ago. Oh, uh, you're talking literally and metaphorically. Exactly. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Yeah. I love don't, it. Don't buy a huge pallet of inventory, you know. Go wide, not deep. Yeah, exactly. Test your way in. We don't guess about inventory. You're doing it wrong if you got a garage full of stuff and you're scratching your head going, hey, help me sell this, somebody. You're doing it wrong if you're guessing. Guessing at all. You know, you just, we eliminate the guess. That's what our PPI strategy is all about. Our proven performance inventory, it completely eliminates the need to guess. Mm -hmm. This is, this is business, not gambling. So exactly. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I I won't go there. I was going to go somewhere, but we won't, we're going to wrap this one up, man. You and I could talk all day. Uh, but I do want to hear your blog Oh yeah. and, uh, let's drop some of those resources on folks. This will all be in the show notes, by the way, guys. So if you're jogging, don't, you know, stop and try to write something on your hand. Uh, we'll, we'll take care of you in the show notes. Go to silentgym.com slash podcast. Look up this episode. You'll see it all there, but go ahead and drop it on us now for those who have a pen handy. Uh, there's ecom seller tools, E-C-O-M-S-E-L-L-E-R tools.com. 
And that's got some free resources that you can download and you can put in whatever email address you want. I, I don't need to collect your email, but if you want to provide it, that's great as well. And uh, you can go ahead and download some free resources there, which there's some good ones that are available. And then uh, the blog there, if you haven't seen that, there's, there's some information that you might find valuable there. Uh, and then feedbackrepair.com, the blog there, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K-R-E-P-A-I-R.com, uh, -E -E feedbackrepair.com, the blog there. And then there's a uh, FAQ section. And in the FAQ section, there are a couple of free resources that you can download, one on customer service, and the other one is a, it's an account health presentation, but it'll show you the screens you need to go to, a couple of the other major areas where you can see different things about your account health and know a little bit better about what to pay attention to besides just the dashboard that Amazon provides. Yeah, how to dig in a little bit and see some of the stuff that Amazon is seeing when they look at your account health. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a going to a checkup at the doctor. You know, we all should do it once a year, but we don't. It's kind of like digging into that. That presentation will be the equivalent of that for you to check out your account health. So great resources, Scott. Well, hey, man, I'm so excited you're going to be at CES with us in Orlando, September. That's cool. So be sure to look up Scott and say hey to him when you see him there. And like I said, listener, go to the show notes, silentgym.com slash podcast for resources and all the stuff we talked about today. Hey, we love serving you. That's why we do what we do here. We love helping entrepreneurs succeed. We're in your corner. We're rooting for you. We're cheering for you. Your success is our mission. That's what I live for. And if you're not in our Facebook group, man, come on in. Success stories literally daily in there. It's just so encouraging to see people who have gone from clueless newbie to exciting business building warriors, and we're cheering each other on. It's a great place to just come hang out. It's free. Why not? Right? So look in the show notes for that as well. Hey, I'm Jim. Thanks again to Scott for being our guest today. This is a great episode. Hope you learned a ton. We'd love to hear some feedback. And hey, I haven't said this in a while. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, man, we'd sure appreciate that because that helps us spread the word and helps us attract a few new listeners each time someone does that. We certainly appreciate you telling your friends about the show as well. So God bless you, business building warrior. We'll do this again real soon. This is Jim, Silent Sales Machine Radio. Talk to you again soon.